It's certainly a blessed occasion we've been given again this Sunday afternoon to assemble in the way that we are, and it's certainly our utmost desire that the things we do will glorify and praise the name of God, and that each of us can be encouraged in our Christian walk of faith as we strive to open the Word of God for this part of the service and to be motivated and encouraged by a lesson found in the Old Testament tonight. You may already notice the title I have invited your consideration to the chapter 37 of the book of Ezekiel. So if you'd be turning there, we'll at least reflect on a portion of that chapter in just a few minutes this evening. As always, we're certainly thankful for the good blessings of God in our direction. As always, every good and perfect gift is from Him, James 1.17. And as we learn both Old and New Testaments alike, He certainly looks upon His creation and He blesses us so bountifully each and every day. A valley full of dry bones. It's probably true. That's one of the most well-known sections in the book of Ezekiel. But needless to say, it still has so many interesting and rather powerful lessons that are easy, easily enough to be seen within it. And in fact, they're contained in the text itself. This introductory slide is one that will merely serve as a foundation, a springboard for many of those features that are to follow in our study tonight. The Old Testament is divided, of course, into several types or sections of literature. And the prophetical section is in many ways the largest in terms of sheer number. We have 17 total books of prophecy, starting with Isaiah and ending with Malachi. And yet, in the midst of that, the fourth of the major prophets, Ezekiel. That particular book is somewhat lengthy, as the other major prophets are. But nonetheless, at least very quickly, would you note this? There are those that might consider that book exceedingly difficult, rather challenging to be sure. And I suppose, like some other books in the Bible, you and I have to do our diligence to make sure we rightly divide it. But needless to say, the Holy Spirit chose to preserve it. And there are lessons in it we need. Things that are not only matters in inspiration, but are helpful today, though we live so many centuries this side of when that book was written. We shall find tonight, I hope at least, some things that can be of help to you and to me. You'll notice about the middle of that slide, that valley full of dry bones in the 37th chapter is indeed a rather high piece in terms of some of the things that it presented. Let me offer the following. Could we at least then devote the lesson like this? Let's review at least briefly the setting for that chapter and then strive to look in some detail at the features surrounding what Ezekiel saw and what the lesson was God intended him to take from it. This opening slide is just a short attempt on my part to reflect on the history of the book as a whole. The book of Ezekiel. I've already mentioned it's one of the major prophets, but to some extent we might at least choose as a starting point that recollection of when God's people, His people, were hauled off into captivity. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel was taken off by the Assyrians. As those people, you see, had chosen to disobey God, they had chosen to live in a way that was not consistent with the revelation of His will. Ultimately, God permitted them to be taken. We read about that in some detail in 2 Kings 17. But may I say that there was a southern kingdom of Judah 
they were blessed with some good kings, but the time came they too chose to live so foolishly. They chose to live beneath their privileges. They chose to turn their back upon the God who had loved them. And they chose to do things that God had forbidden. As they did all of that, the time too would come that God would turn His back upon them because they wouldn't repent. In 586 B.C., they were taken into Babylonian captivity. To say all of that is to say that you'll notice at the top of that slide, as that southern kingdom moved in the direction of the captivity, God sent His prophets to them, urging them, if you don't repent, and if you don't change and come back to the kind of people that I had called you to be, then this is the end that you will face. That is to say, this is the captivity that shall be yours. We read about the prophets who labored to instill that message within the people in chapters such as Isaiah 48, Jeremiah 29, and to that we might add Ezekiel 36. The people didn't learn much of a lesson. Though God said, I sent my prophets rising up early and speaking, yet you wouldn't hear the famous words of 2 Chronicles 36. And with all that said, we notice they did go to captivity. But God promised them a remnant will return. He promised them this particular captivity will not annihilate you. It will not, in fact, end that which I expect you to be. But after a period of time, I will bring you back and give you the opportunity to again dwell in the place that you and I would call Judah and Jerusalem. I would invite you for a moment then to put yourself in the life and times of the prophet Ezekiel. The people by this point had gone into captivity. Their sweet and beloved Jerusalem, they had been hauled off from it. It was a distant memory. That precious temple that they seemingly enjoyed worshiping at and they had longingly looked to, they no longer had access to it. It was, you see, way back destroyed in Jerusalem and they were now way off in Babylon. Can you imagine how downhearted they must have seemed? Can you imagine how broken-spirited they might have appeared? We've lost everything, Ezekiel. We no longer have the temple. We no longer have God, for hasn't He forsaken us? How else could we have ended up here? It is in that kind of circumstance that God commissioned a man named Ezekiel to come and labor among these people, to light the fires of faithfulness within them, to help them realize that God had not forsaken them completely. They're the ones who, because of their sin, had brought these evils upon them. And God still had a remnant, for He wanted them to go back to that place and to reestablish the proper worship and to serve God the way that they should. God still had a mission for them. He had a hope that He wanted Ezekiel to instill within them. As you can see about the middle of that slide, Ezekiel then had a very challenging mission. Can you imagine how unlikely it would be that many of those people would hear favorably that message? You mean to tell me, Ezekiel, God loves me when look where I am? Do you mean to tell me that He has not forgotten me where look at what He's let happen to me? And yet Ezekiel's mission was you remind them that they are a special heritage. They followed from the very descendancy of Abraham. And just like Abraham faithfully served me, they can too 
despite this place they now are, there's reason for hope. There's reason to look on the brighter side. And Ezekiel labored at length to help instill that hopefulness within them. As you and I close that slide, may I say, as you and I then read these 48 chapters in Ezekiel, we'll find over and again, he reminds them that they were a special people with a special purpose who ultimately had a powerful reality. The blessed Messiah was going to come through them. And thus they needed to be faithful. They needed to reestablish the proper environs in worship. Of course, sometime later, they would be allowed to return, but that was after the time of Ezekiel. But what a great servant he was for the time that he labored. This next slide will be one that takes us a little bit more thoroughly to the specific chapter that will be our interest tonight. Ezekiel chapter 37 Brother Cale read earlier, beginning in verse 11. I'd like to back up a few verses prior to that, and we'll start reading in just a moment in verse 1 to set a bit more thorough the context of it. But as we do that, we're then going to cast a spotlight upon the events detailed here, and then we'll devote the last section in the lesson. What might be some meaning in that for us, or what at least can we apply from it that might be of assistance? Therefore, on the top of that slide... We begin to read the following, verse number 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, Thou knowest. We'll pick up our reading in just a moment, but imagine the circumstance. You'll notice in verse number 1 that in the Spirit, God in fact brought Ezekiel to a place in which he was allowed to espy a valley full of dry bones. There weren't just a few of them. The text, in fact, places an emphasis in verse number 2, there were very many. But rather sadly, they were also very dry. Immediately, you and I learn a rather amazing consideration. So obviously, a great deal of what appeared to be death was before the very eyes of Ezekiel. When you see skeletons, something has died. When you see skeletons, something is no longer living. And the fact that they were very dry means it looks hopeless. It's not as though it was a recent death. The text, in fact, again, rather dramatically notes, very dry. The scene of hopelessness, then, is a very clear one to observe. And isn't it interesting, then, in verse number 3, God said something to Ezekiel. You might already notice, and it certainly isn't the first time, but Ezekiel is called the Son of Man. The Lord referred to Himself that way more than once. There was some sense in which this Old Testament prophet at least set forth in his labor something that would be reminiscent of the great labors of the Son of God. It is not in any way to say that Ezekiel was anything close to Jesus, but something about his mission, something about the circumstances in which he labored, led to the description of himself as a son of man, much like Jesus referred to himself that way. 
Isn't it interesting then in verse number 3, can these bones live? Surely to the appearance of Ezekiel as well as to anyone else who would have been able to see this, it would have looked entirely right to perhaps say no. They're dry. There's a lot of them. There's an abundance in death. But Ezekiel's response was this, O Lord God, Thou knowest. You and I would have to greatly magnify the thought of the wisdom in the words of Ezekiel. He knew that God was such that things are possible with Him. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 19, 26, With God all things are possible. And so it was that verse number 3 closed with a statement like that. Let's journey into verse 4. Again, He said unto me, this is God talking, Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel is going to be commanded to preach to a bunch of dry bones. What do you think about that as an audience? What do you think about that circumstance? And yet, you'll notice that verse 4, prophesy. That literally means to send forth and carry forth the preciousness of the Word of God. Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them. What an interesting audience, an assembly if I might say it that way. And so it was, verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. Did you notice? God wasn't going to say to the bones directly. He gave Ezekiel the message to share with the bones. Today might you and I at least observe in that the place of gospel preaching. You and I know God is all-powerful. If He wanted to, He certainly could send the message directly to us, but that's not His chosen methodology. Didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 1, He has equipped those to preach His Word. And you and I are certainly thankful that as the centuries roll onward for those who will proclaim faithfully the message of the Word of God because how desperately we each need it. Verse 5 goes on to say, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. God speaking said, Though the death matter may be the appearance, and though lifelessness and hopelessness may be the order of what looks to be the case, God says, I'll cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. You'll notice God is then saying something about a type of resurrection, a type of renewal, a type of re-energizing. Verse 6 will say, And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Not only would the bones you see make a presentation, but they'd be covered with skin. They'd be covered, you see. There was a fullness of recovery. It wasn't just a partial appearance of life. It was going to be a full appearance thereof. There's great hope yet to be appreciated. And the verse closes by saying one of the things the bones would appreciate and the finality of it was going to be that I am the Lord. They would know the source of their return. They would know the understanding that would go with their renewal. Verse number 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded. Might you and I again take note of what Ezekiel did? Would you and I have been quick to do it, 
to preach to a valley full of dry bones, those who from our appearance would be unable to hear. Ezekiel said, I did it just as I was commanded. Today, what a thundering appreciation for us. All who would proclaim the Word, it should be our goal to follow the mantra of 1 Peter 4.11, to speak as the oracles of God. Or as Paul would say it in Romans 4 verse 3, What saith the Scripture? Ezekiel proclaimed exactly that which God gave him to say. And so it is in verse number 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. Can you imagine what Ezekiel saw? Can you imagine in the consideration of the development of this moment what appeared to be a valley full of dry bones, and yet as Ezekiel preached and proclaimed the Word of God, the bones began to attach. You did notice with me it said bone to his bone. It wasn't a disorderly thing. The correct place the bone was to be attached is the where it was attached. Not only that, it says there was a noise. You can imagine perhaps the noise as bones were reattaching, the shaking that took place as that developed. And verse number 8 says, And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. As the bones had been reattached, and as those things were proceeding onward, even skin had come back on them, and muscle and sinew had been reattached. But there was one thing that you'll notice the verse mentions by saying, but there was no breath in them. You and I recognize that the body is certainly a majestic thing that God has fashioned and made, but there's, of course, that which makes it alive. Doesn't that remind us of Genesis 2, verse 7? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Well, you'll notice there then is a reference to a body, but it goes on to say, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That body has to be infused with life. And you'll notice there was no breath in them. Verse number 9, Then said he unto me, God again speaking to Ezekiel, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, O son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. As the vision continued onward in what Ezekiel was now facing, you'll notice that he prophesied or at least preached to the wind. And it says the four winds, in fact, converged on the moment and infused these with breath. And the text goes on to say that they may live. And amazingly, verse number 10 describes the fact they stood up and made an exceedingly great army. There had been many of the bones, and now there were many consisting in this army. You may notice as you come near the close of that slide with me, it would be easy at this point to ask, what does this mean? Down through the ages, there have been many assertions. There have been many supposed hypotheses as to what the message was. 
And sometimes the things stated are outlandish, sensational, sometimes ridiculous, and sometimes wholly separated from anything having to do with the life and times of Ezekiel or even pertinent messages for you and me today. But as is many times the case, could I ask you to notice, God tells us what this means. We aren't left to enforce it into what we think. And aren't we thankful that God has told us? That's what Cale read in verses 11 to 14. In fact, let's read it again. And let's use that to prepare us for the slides to follow. I might say as we move in that direction, if you and I ask about the meaning... Could we at least remember this? That whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Those wonderful words of Romans 15.4. For that reason, what was written here does have benefit for us. It does have a message that can be meaningful and helpful and encouraging. And at the very least, there are principles within it that can be beneficial even to us today. Therefore, as we close that slide, may I at least, in that context, invite you to now hear again verses 11 to 14. Then he said unto me, this is God speaking, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open the graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Many interesting things happen even later in the chapter, but at least for our lesson tonight, this will consume the remainder of the allotted time for us. God has explained some interesting and rather remarkable truths. We now know what the bones mean, what it is that Ezekiel has seen. So here's a picture. I tried to find at least a picture that might help us see what Ezekiel saw. Imagine his position, seeing this valley, not with a few, but with many bones, and all of them were dry. Very dry, the text says. And did you notice in verse number 11 what God's people were saying about themselves? Remember, they had been taken into captivity. They were in a very discouraged state. They were in a state of hopelessness, a state of challenge. The people were saying this about themselves. Our bones are dried. Our hope is lost. Verse 11. They thought that there was no longer any ultimate life within them. We are here in captivity we are far removed from the temple. We're far removed from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is now destroyed. We cannot do what we are in need of doing because we are in essence dead. We are in essence dead. 
It's something to ponder, isn't it? This people had lost their fervor. They'd lost their sense of purpose. They had lost their sense of attachment to meaning. It is in that regard that God told Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones. And when He did, you and I have just read that they came together, bone attached to bone, and ultimately sinew and muscle, and then ultimately life was breathed again within them. You'll notice this next picture is a picture again of Ezekiel as he preaches to a valley full of dry bones in the top left. And at the bottom right, as he preaches, they begin to have matters reattached, the bones and the sinew and the skin. And as all of that took place, we have just read then what the meaning was what the significance was to Ezekiel and the message that that was going to mean for the people of God. As we turn to the next slide, I'd like to invite you to think then about a couple of lessons perhaps, one of which is this. Although it may have been the case in their own sight that God's people thought that they were hopeless and thought that all was no good and never could be again, God had a different story. He had a different future for them. Ezekiel prophesied of the bones. And when he did, they resurrected. This is one of the clearest passages in all the Bible that speaks about the representative character of a resurrection. You and I appreciate how critical the thought of resurrection is in the New Testament. And yet here, God's people, at least in their own mind, were as good as dead. But God saw that there was yet life to be enjoyed, work to be done, purpose to be fulfilled, and things to be accomplished. I've entitled it like this, No Good Cause is Hopeless with God in It. No Good Cause needs to appreciate hopelessness as long as God is in it. I might offer that that can be a useful thing to remember even in our individual lives. There can be times of despair and times of discouragement and times when it's evident that things are not as we wish they were. And yet that surely was the case in the life and times of Ezekiel. And yet he was told to hold forth the faith and he was told to preach it to them so that they could understand that there is coming a remnant that's going to go back. You and I might remember that was several decades before that remnant was going to return. So they needed to be faithful for probably 50 years or more before they were going to be allowed to return. And then, in the days of Ezra and later in Nehemiah, they'd be able to enjoy a return to Jerusalem where they would rebuild the temple and be able to reestablish worship the way that God had commanded Oh, there was a bright future ahead. They just didn't know it at that time. And today, what is God's tomorrow going to be like? Sometimes you and I fail to lift our eyes above the horizon. The world is given to sinfulness. It's given to a wayward fashion concerning so often matters in truth. We need to ever keep our eyes above the sinful horizon of man and directed toward the hopefulness available in the things of God. If the book of Revelation has anything for us easily to appreciate, it's this. God's tomorrow is brighter than man's today. 
when I prepared this lesson, I had no idea about a virus that was going to run rampant around the world. But it seems to me, at least in a way, we need to remember even still about our anchoring in the things of truth and understand that God's in control of things. Maybe in fairness, let's develop some points like this. God knew all along that His people were going to go to captivity. He urged them to repent, but they wouldn't do it. And in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11, He even, through the prophet Jeremiah, said, For 70 years you're going to go into captivity. But a remnant's coming back. A remnant's coming back. I might offer the thought that ought to have been a source of great hope and encouragement and a positive spirit of the future. You and I realize that sometimes the church faces battles in our day because of choices that certain individuals have made and continue to make. Our commitment is to be faithful and to understand that just as surely as Ezekiel preached the message of God, we're going to keep doing that too because we know that that is what shall save the souls of people. And we look forward to that great day of judgment wherein the saints can exultingly say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, verses 18 and following. No wonder as we close that slide, you and I can appreciate that more than once in the Bible, God's people had found themselves in very challenging positions. You might recall in the opening chapters of Exodus, plagues came upon the people, primarily those in Egypt, and as those people suffered those matters, God's people successfully came out of Egypt. But it wasn't long before there was a Red Sea ahead of them and the pursuing Egyptians behind them. What do we do now? It's then that God said, Moses, stand still and hold out that rod, and the water parted. And God provided a way of deliverance. They walked through on dry ground. It wasn't even muddy. And as they, in fact, traversed that place, ultimately the waters came back on those pursuing Egyptians, but God's people were delivered. God's people in Ezekiel's day, there's going to be a resurrection. A resurrection of my people, a resurrection of a cause. A resurrection in such a way that this return shall permit the ultimate coming of the Son of God and in so doing the blessed salvation for all who will turn to Him. No wonder as we close that slide. A few more thoughts before we turn to a final lesson. I've asked you to think about the pursuit of a nation. Isn't it interesting that as Ezekiel was told to prophesy to this valley full of dry bones, and it was God that infused them with life and gave them the information and the reality of what they were to be. May I say that any nation is only going to be strong and only going to have the fortitude needed as long as it's committed to the things of morality and truth available from God. Any nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. Psalm 9, verse 17. Don't we read in Proverbs 14, 34 that righteousness exalts a nation? Sin is a reproach to any people. Oh, how we need to be fervent in our understanding of prayer for our leaders and our citizenry, the citizens of our country that we might have an estimation of and a return in blessed interest in 
that which is the Word of God. It is there the greatest hope is to be found, just like it was in Ezekiel's day. As we close that slide, one final thing. The brightness of Christianity is not dimmed. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5, We're the ones that are a city set on a hill. We're the ones that are salt of the earth. We're the ones that are a light that you don't put under a bushel. Because we're the ones, you see, that hold forth the matter of truth. Don't you find it interesting that in the days of Sodom, God said, Abraham, I'll spare it if you can find ten faithful ones there. Couldn't find them. Sodom was destroyed. In the days of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'll spare it if you can find one faithful. Couldn't find one. That's sad. Jeremiah 5, verses 1 and following. Today, may we appreciate America, or for that matter, any nation, if they depart from and remain aloof to that which is the things of God, it isn't going to go well for them. Oh, how we need to appreciate hopefulness, just like in the days of Ezekiel, will be attached to fidelity to the Word of God. The final lesson of the night tonight is a bit of a personal application for all of us. We've just seen about this amazing vision that Ezekiel saw. What looked to be so hopeless, and yet that army was going to come to life, infused with life through the nature of what God provided. Sometimes there could come events in your life or mine, maybe choices or pursuits of things that we know isn't good. And we might begin to think, I don't have the strength to overcome it. And that's probably true. But there is a force far greater than you or me. Greater is He than it is us, than He that is in the world. 1 John 4 verse 4. There is a power far higher than we, and just like God infused those bones with life, He can be there to provide you and I with the necessary strength to overcome whatever sin we may be facing, and whatever temptation may come our way. He has promised us, there has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No wonder then on that slide you and I can appreciate whatever you and I may be facing. We can, with God's help, overcome it. He has assured us of it. I'm sure that to some in Ezekiel's day, it may have seemed so unlikely. But yet God through Ezekiel said, this is what's going to happen. And not many decades later, they did return just like God said they would. And they did rebuild just like God said they would. And they did reestablish a sense of national identity. And that's the very people through whom Jesus was born into this world. They served the mission, the purpose that God had in mind for them. You and I, you see, there's a work you and I can do. We sometimes sing that song. May we realize that there's nothing we can't overcome with His help. If you're struggling with something in your life tonight, let our elders know so they can pray with you and for you. Or let another brother or sister in Christ be there to offer encouragement and support. Someone who can be there to help make sure you stay the course of faithfulness. One last thing on that slide. 
Our hope, of course, from Ephesians 2 verse 5 is always in God. You and I can't save ourselves. We never could. But we know through the sacrifice of Christ, we can attach to Him. And just like those bones came back to life, you and I can also return to life. Don't you find it interesting there's a connection there? In Ephesians 2 verse 1, that person who is dead in trespasses and sins, has the opportunity to come back to life. They're currently dead, not as though they're physically dead, but they're spiritually dead. There could be someone in this assembly tonight who's spiritually dead. Maybe you've been overwhelmed by a sin, but just like those bones were prophesied to, and they came rushing back to life. Jesus can forgive you of your sins, and you too can enjoy life again. Life spoken of in the Word of God. Life encouraged upon you and me. Tonight, if we could be of assistance or help in any of these ways, I hope the recollection of Ezekiel 37 will put the fact in us that there's always reason to be hopeful with God in the picture. Nothing is hopeless as long as God is in the picture. Tonight, if we could be of assistance to anybody in one of these ways, a song of encouragement has been selected. And we'd like to use this as an opportune time and invite you to come and do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.